DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is time now to talk with Sam Smith. You can read his stuff online, nba.com slash bulls. I've been going through the whole archive. He's got tons of stuff about the bulls and has written extensively about not just the last dance, but really the whole era. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Uh, Sure. Good to talk to you. Although... Although I, I know what you're talking about, and those are tough times for Salt Lake City. Yeah, they were. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's show business, right? There's got to be a winner, and there's got to be a loser, and you gotta, you got you to gotta risk it for the biscuit and get in there and uh, get your heart broken sometimes. I'm curious because this story overlaps with Salt Lake so many times, and when I was reading through your online archive of all the stories, uh, you tell one story. It's a great story, actually, about how the year Jordan is drafted, they send a 23-year-old guy from the ticket office to actually execute the draft, right? Most teams are sending GMs and coaches in there. And you say right. in there that although the Bulls wanted Jordan, that there was pressure from the outside to draft other people, including Mel Turpin, Dinner Bell Mel, who famously played for the Jazz. Was there any thought the Bulls might crack under the pressure, or were they 100% going to take Jordan if he was available? Uh, yeah, they, I mean, to Rod Thorne's credit, he made some he made some <laughs> poor draft choices before that. Um, but he but he was uh, at that point, um, you know, committed to uh, selecting Jordan. Now, although it was, you know, you got to consider the times. You know, the notion back then was that you, you know you're never going to win a title uh, led by a shooting guard. And so Rod, you know, Rod's point in that respect was well. We're not drafting Michael Jordan to be the focus or the center of the team. You know, we're drafting him to be just a good shooting guard, and we know we have other needs and that kind of thing. But you know, people in in, in this era really won't. I mean, you, you know, you know, if you look at the, at the history of the NBA, it was always built around great centers. You know, from Russell, Wilt, uh, Kareem on down, and in in that era too. You know, you, you, you top teams. You had you know Parrish with the Celtics. You had Kareem with the Lakers. You had Mo. Is, you know, the Sixers can't win with Dr. J uh, and all the great team, the guys they had. They had, uh, you know, McGinnis and Dawkins, that Collins was an all-star. They still can't win until they get Moses. So there was a lot of sentiment in the Chicago community. Of you got to have a big man. And, you know, Turpin, I think he went six in that draft. He, he went pretty much yeah. after this. I think it was Sam Perkins, Barkley, and Turpin. You know, and so there was, there was sentiment for both Perkins and uh, the, the uh, uh, Turpin, in, in you know, in that in that draft among the community, I know, I know the Bulls were getting a lot of fan advice, as it were. Uh, so it wasn't really universal at the time that oh, wow, we fell into Jordan and now we're on the way. <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. Yeah. So, because you were there for the whole ride, and because whether you're writing and you're limited for space back in the newspaper days, not so much online now, or you're limited for time, because even with a 10-hour documentary, the folks who have done this said, and they wish they have more stories they couldn't tell. Of all the stories you know, what are some of the stories that you wish had been in the documentary that, the, that everyone around the country could have uh, picked up on? Yeah, I think I think the documentary, you know, did a good idea, a good a good job of covering, you know, the, the basic, you know, all the questions that had to be asked, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, 
like I, I have said, is it reminds me a little bit in, in cases of, you know, you see a movie come on on, uh, on TV or a movie, and they'll say, well, based based on a true story or based on actual events. <laughs> and, you know, it was a lot of that. You know, you know but, it, but it was supposed to be that. And, I mean, there's some criticism that, um, well, it's not a, a pure documentary of this and that. It's Michael Jordan. You know, it's Michael Jordan's. Hagiography, and it is, and that's what it's supposed to be, and and then that's I think I think that's the point of you know, the, the, what what's made it so special with so many people is that you know his this guy this you know sort of uh, mystical figure almost um, who's really been uh, reckless for the last you know you know twenty years or so, uh, maybe even more than that. You know, when he was in, in basketball, you know, once he came back in the mid nineties. His celebrity was so huge, you know, that you really never got to see, uh, you know, him relaxed or how he actually was. And, you know, so this was sort of a, uh, revealing about that. I mean, there are so many things that, that occur over the, you know, that you, that, 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 that you're not going to include. And if I, you know, if I gave it a, a lot of thought, uh, you know, you would cut, you would come up with, well, that would be, that would be, a, you know, a fun behind the scenes compared to this. But, you know, what they had, I think the basis of it was they had, uh, an, an a, a, a NBA, uh, entertainment crew was embedded that season. Actually, I thought there would be more stuff from that, um, than there was. You know, I think the, the, the bulk of the documentary was a lot of interviews, and especially the interviews with Jordan, which I, you know, which I think, you know, for the most part, people uh, enjoyed the most. Um, but that crew was around that whole season, so you know, '97, '98, it was an element of the uh, of behind the scenes where, you know, if you went back and it throughout the whole decade, you know, you could imagine how many, you know, great or unusual or. Uh, you know, appealing scenes would be, be you know behind the you know behind the curtain, but that's sort of what I tried to do, sort of innocently. You know, when I wrote this book in the early '90s, uh, the Jordan Rules, uh, before the Bulls had won anything, it was just sort of a you know sort of an innocent an innocent attempt to peel back the curtain a little bit for fans to say, hey, dude, this is what it's like kind of go through a season with a team. Um, and then it, it turned out I picked the season where they went and won. But at a time where, you know, the notion, you know, like the Jazz, you know, people weren't expecting the Bulls to win in the late 80s because they couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get past the Pistons, much like, you know, the Jazz had so many years they couldn't get past the Lakers. And, you know, until you actually get there, no one really thinks you can. So as you uh, as you watch all of this unfold, I think the one of the things that really stayed with people in this was iPad Mike is how I've seen it referred to on social media. When they hand him the iPad to show him something that somebody else said, is that a side of Jordan that you saw very often covering the team? iPad Mike. Well, of course, we didn't know what an iPad was. Sure, right, yes. Or 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 iPhone or, 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 or any of those things. You know what? What's, what struck me about that? Yes, it, it was definitely a side of him in the sense, you know, a big side of him was at the point, and and that's sort of how you had fun with him and how he sort of divided, 
you know, sort of the group into the tough guys. And nah, the, it, you got you had a fence back at him uh, verbally, not so much always physically all the time. Even though he had a couple of these incidents with, you know, Steve Kerr, or Will Purdue, he wasn't a fighter. Particularly, you saw there was that one thing they showed with Reggie Miller where they were sort of slapping at each other. <laughs> it was, was, but, you know, well, we don't encourage fighting other than uh, since the Pistons uh, moved up the sea. Um, but, yeah, it was, it, 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 and I think that, that gave, uh, you know, the greatest, some of the greatest insights in the documentary to Jordan, you know, that whatever you challenged him about, I mean, really, it, it's probably a, a psychological weakness. That he, that he was unable to accept anybody saying anybody else could do anything better. You know, it was like the, you know, the thing with Carl Malone, where he said, well, I was motivated because Carl Malone was the MVP. You know, the MVP doesn't mean the best player in the league. The MVP means, the, you know, the most valuable to your team at that time. And, you know, there's no reason to, to not think at that time Carl Malone could have been more valuable to the Jazz than even Michael Jordan was to the Bulls. But, you know, this notion or, you know, like with Clyde Drexler, how dare they say Clyde Drexler is as good as me? <laughs> you know, those sort of things were, you know, I mean, in, in some sense, it's kind of a weakness. It's like, hey, get over yourself a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's possible that somebody else one day could have done something <laughs> better than you. So, but, but that was the nature of Jordan. It, was, I, I, it wasn't so much to me that you know, he believed that all the time, is that, that that sort of was his competitive nature, you know, the challenge to drive him. You know, you know, he lost plenty. He missed a lot, of, a lot of big shots. I mean, anything else he did, you know, golf or whatever, golf, you know, even they showed you pitching quarters he lost. <laughs> you know, so he'd lose it, you know, on plenty of stuff. But it's also the thing I admired about him in a lot of respects because – you know, he he was willing to take the challenge and everything. Like you see LeBron, you know he won't. You know, the, the, and a lot of players in this era, Kevin Durant. Uh, you know, they don't go in the contest. They won't go in a dunk contest. So the, uh, there's three point at the All Star game, which are just for entertainment. It's not an ultimate statement that okay, well you you're not the best dunker ever or something. You know, it's just taking a chance and challenging yourself against the others. And Jordan always did that. He wasn't a good shooter, but he went in the three-point contest, and he got the lowest score in the history of the contest. You know, but it's not like it affected his legacy. But, you know, you see players in this era are afraid to, a lot of them, not all of them, but you know, a lot of them are afraid to fail uh, or afraid to, you know, face humiliation or question. He never was, you know. Uh, and I think probably that comes out a little more that, you know, anybody dare challenge him in anything. And now, you know, of course, at his age, what is whatever what is sixty three? So fifty seven? Is he fifty seven? I think you know at, at his age, it's easy. You know, we all look back. And we go, we walk by the park and go, "Oh yeah, I could have beaten that kid." You know, when I was little. So you know, he still kind of lives that way. Sam Smith joining us. He covered the Bulls for years. Covered uh, Jordan's incredible run. And I'm curious. Uh, we saw him. Uh, we saw him go after some awfully good players, from Isaiah to Drexler uh, to Peyton. Of all the players of that era, who do you really think he respected the most? I mean, he thought he was the best. Did he think there was a clear cut number two, someone who came closest to challenging the throne? I don't. I don't think he did. I don't think he really did. Um, you know, because you know, I mean, the Pistons. And I think that's why you see a lot of resentment toward the Pistons, not only because of, you know, however they, you know, they, they acted, you know, the, the tough play, the bad boy stuff. They beat them. 
You know, they beat him so many times. I mean, Isaiah, you know, beat him in the playoffs way more than Jordan ever beat Isaiah in the playoffs. And I don't think anyone else could ever, you know, could say that. And, of course, once Jordan started winning, you know, they, he, you know, he won every time he got to the finals. You know, but building up those years, he liked Bird. You know, he never had issues with Bird. He, and, and, you know, Bird, I mean, wasn't an athletic kind of guy. He, he resented Magic early on, and they, they ended up becoming friends. Um, but, you know, those two, while they were great winners, they, they, they weren't great athletes, and, you know, he couldn't compare. I mean, I mean, you know, if they went one-on-one on the court, you know, maybe the other players. And that was the criticism of Michael in that era, you know, that you're not as good as, as Bird and Magic because they make others better and they're better teammates. Um, but, but, you know, he didn't – he he, he, he wasn't so much uh, – I mean, he was, maybe say, jealous, you know, of Magic's success or just that's a, that's a Bird. He never had it. And he saw him do the commercials with Bird. He never did the commercials with anybody else. You know, he did that – I don't know if you remember, you're old enough, you remember the famous where they were taking shots all yeah. over the gym kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, great commercial years ago. Uh, but Isaiah really, Isaiah was great. I mean, Isaiah, as a player, guys, people people don't credit in a lot of respects. And you, you guys in Utah know Isaiah from the Carl Malone shot. Yeah. The guy really, really killed him almost. I mean, he gave him 40 stitches or something. Uh, you know, when Isaiah used to go after Stockton so much. Um but I think that it wasn't so much he, – he didn't feel athletically uh, that there was anyone who could challenge him that way. But, uh, but he yeah, – and I think you see the resentment still come out. After all these years, he's still angry with Isaiah. And because Isaiah, you know, made him look bad, made his team look bad in several playoffs. And Isaiah is a Chicago native. And, uh, you know, and so, so in a sense, you could say that's the, the one guy who really got under his skin. So uh, a lot of this has uh, brought people back to addressing uh, Jordan versus LeBron. Uh, as someone who saw Jordan all the way through his career, do you come down on the side of Jordan, or do you think LeBron's actually gotten to GOAT status? No, no. Of course. I mean, just what I just said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you disqualify yourself. LeBron, I mean, LeBron's a great player. I mean, it pains me to criticize LeBron in any way. I mean, he's been a great ambassador of the league. I, I I I like him. I don't know him well, you know, but I like him personally. I like what he stands for. Uh, I will, you know, I, I think he, his play has been fabulous. But, but there's really no comparison as far as as a player. I mean, you know, Le, uh, LeBron. I mean, he sort of disqualified himself in some of the things that happened. You know, he he lost in the finals to like the worst champion ever. So <laughs> Dallas Dallas team that won in 2011. Look at that roster. It's really almost unbelievable that that team was a champion. Like Dirk and a bunch of washed-up guys, you know, Jason Kidd. And, and they were, I think they were starting to Sean Stevenson. They had this miserable team. Um, and then, you know, he's given up. He's, he gives up on games sometimes. And I remember in the, what was it, the 2010 when they lost to Boston and I think it was the, it was the conference finals. Before he went to Miami, he kind of gave up on some games there. And it's not a human emotion, you know, to be so discouraged and disheartened, um, you know, that you sort of walk away from it. Um, and then, you know, Le- Le- LeBron was in the finals nine times, and he lost six of them. <laughs> so the only ones who lost that level, and they're great players, is Weston Taylor. But, you know, but they're not top five for that reason. <laughs> you know, you can't go to the ultimate game and lose it all the time. 
and then be considered the greatest player ever. So, you know, LeBron's got great longevity. He's going to probably, you know, we get back to basketball on some regular level. He's probably going to pass Kareem and be the all-time leading scorer of all time. Um, and he's certainly one of the great players, but I, I don't think he can even compare him to Jordan, you know, with the way Jordan dominated his year and dominated teams and dominated players. I mean, every time he went to the finals, he was the MVP. He's the best player on the floor, and I don't think you could ever say that about LeBron. So you can't be the best player of all time if you were so often not the best player in the game. Sam Smith joining us, and Sam, you mentioned earlier, you know, so much of the Jordan story brings so much uh, pain to Jazz fans, and part of the Jordan story is Phil Jackson, and of course Phil doubled back with the Lakers and beat the Jazz in the playoffs three times during the Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams era here, and I was really struck watching the last dance. Doug Collins tiptoed up to, uh, I got stabbed in the back and pushed out, but he didn't, he didn't say it, but he gets kind of say he saw it coming. The, was there at any point a chance as that was happening that Phil's career wasn't going to get this incredible launching pad and take off the way it did? Was it kind of in, inevitable the way Phil was embracing the triangle and text that he was going to be the head coach one day? What played out there? Because it just felt like they addressed it and yet they left some stuff unspoken. Yeah, well, I think there's no question. <laughs> I think Doug more than tiptoed. I think they did, you know, pretty clear what I'm saying at that. You know, he felt he was undermined there. And I, I don't think that's the case, but it's certainly understandable, you know, that you would feel that way. You know, Phil was hired by Krause, by the general manager, not by Doug, to be on his staff, which is not that usual. You know, but Tex was hired by Krause, too. You know, Doug only got the hire. Of course, you know, there wasn't big staffs back then. Um, you know, having, having three assistants, what they did was kind of a lot to that era. You know, they were sort of ahead of the curve a little bit. Um but, no, there was no inevitability that way. And, 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 you know, and Phil didn't come. He was hired, and, and that was sort of the genesis of uh, Krause's bitter feelings, which were uh, inappropriate in a sense. You know, you can't tell someone not to feel bad. But he felt he saved Phil from the CBA, and, and Phil wasn't going to get a job in the NBA. Phil was viewed as, a, you know, as, a, a, as an erratic kind of character. He, He'd written a book in the 70s with the Knicks, Maverick, where he talked about drug use and things like that. And, you know, it was viewed a little out of the conservative mainstream of the NBA, uh, executive coaching, you know, order at that time. And, 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 and you know, Phil acknowledged that. You know, Krauss, Krauss did bring him and give an opportunity when he might not have otherwise got one. But, you know, Krauss's view later, you know, for the next rest of your life is that you owe him. <laughs> You got to be like a subject, and you know Phil, and he did. He paid him back. He knew did his job. He won titles, but Phil wasn't this triangle advocate when he came to the Bulls as an assistant for two years under Doug. Uh, but the triangle is very similar to a lot of the tenants that Phil played under Red Holtzman with. So it was sort of the philosophy of it, of you know spacing on the floor, movement, ball movement, man movement. You know, basically a lot of basic basketball to it. It's just not the isolation that you see a lot uh, in the NBA over the years. Um, you know, it's, it's just more of a fundamental of a team game. But even on the staff, and I remember talking to Phil about it and even helping him. I, I, knew, I knew some owners and helped him arrange some interviews. But he'd interview when he was on the staff of the Bulls. Uh, he interviewed for some other job. 
and and he was very excited about the possibility of getting the head coaching job of the expansion Minnesota Timberwolves. And he and Bill Musselman were up for that, and Musselman got the job. You know, so if Phil had gotten that job, which he was trying desperately to get, because he, he, he wasn't thinking he was going to inevitably face, replace Doug Collins and be the Bulls coach, life is very different. Well, Phil doesn't have, you know, 11 titles or whatever he's got. He's not, you know, if you start with an expansion team and take all those losses for a couple of years, I'm pretty sure he'd have been out of coaching, you know, within four or five years and out of the NBA. So, you know, but for all of us, it's, it's the right time. You know, you've got to be at the right time in the right place. Um, I happen to be fortunate enough in, you know, in my career as a sports writer, you know, when I was in sports to have showed up and Michael Jordan showed up with the Chicago Bulls. You know, if I was in Sacramento, I probably would enjoy the winners more, but I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be on your show. <laughs> and so, you know, things in life are a lot of good fortune more than, um, you know, personal excellence, being at the right place at the right time, and, and Phil was. But then you've got then you've got to be somebody to, pr- to prove and produce. And I think what the documentary showed, more as much as anything, is how great a coach Phil really was in dealing with that incredible group of diverse personalities and Michael Jordan and Rodman and Pippen and all the things and keeping it together. That. But it's just not rolling the ball out when you got great players. It's a lot more than that. And I think that's what, you know, that what Phil was. But you can't show that if you don't have the good players. Well, timing is everything. There's no doubt about that. And, Sam, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for coming on the air and uh, talking a little bit about Jordan and the Bulls. All right. Good to talk to you. Sam Smith, you can read him at Bulls.com. He's been covering uh, basketball in Chicago for a long, long time. PK Deshaun Stevenson, the worst NBA champion ever. That was a nice combination right there, wasn't it? We were in here. We were in here. That that interview was taped. Sam doesn't do mornings. So uh <laughs> but we were in here and Yach and I were just both looking at each other, just laughing. <laughs> you go, Sam. Go get him. Deshaun Stevenson, man. But but that really is, you know, with LeBron, I can the three and six in the finals, the, you know, you can lose in a conference finals. If the NBA champ is in your conference, you know, the Bulls lost to the Pistons. Well, they would have lost to him in the finals, but they're in the same conference, so they lost in the Eastern finals. So they don't want to overdo it. But when you see a team where the matchup, clearly you got an edge. I mean, when Cleveland lost the first time in the finals, they didn't have an edge. San Antonio was better. But, man, against that Maverick team, that Heat team, they had an edge. Well, they needed a slash, too, because they didn't get it done. They didn't get it done. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby said Tuesday the league needs to be up and running by mid-July if the college football season is going to start on time. He says if we're not, we're looking to probably having to delay the season a little bit, but it's too early to know if we're going to be able to make that or not. NCAA announced its uh, APR results on Tuesday. The academic progress report with 15 D1 programs not reaching the threshold needed to compete in postseason events or championships. Most notably, Stephen F. Austin's baseball, football, and men's basketball programs are ineligible. 
Stephen F. Austin's basketball team with 28 and three this past season. Jazz guard Mike Conley is donating $200,000 to five organizations for COVID-19 aid. Conley's donations will be split amongst the Utah Food Bank, Code Crew in Memphis, Tennessee, the Community Shelter Board and Columbus Urban League in Ohio, the Indianapolis Public Schools Foundation, and the New Haven Missionary Baptist Church in Arkansas. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home. Zero Res is cleaning carpets right now for just $25 per room. The lowest price is to help out as many people as possible. $25 per room. Available while space is available. Call Zero Res today for details and restrictions at 801-288-9376. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 90% of it was, I don't know if I can say it on air, but BS. In terms of um, the realness of it, as I stated the other day, that it wasn't real because a lot of things that he said to uh, some of his teammates, his teammates went back at it, but all of that was kind of edited out of the documentary, if you want to call it a documentary. Horace Grant right there, his complaints about The Last Dance, 90% BS. Just heard Sam Smith say, well, they largely got it right. It was what it was supposed to be. You know, it's like when you see the movie based on actual events. I mean, if you're going to take uh, 15, 20 years and clip it down into 10 hours, what do you think you're going to get? You're going to have to leave some stuff out. Horace Grant. Uh, yeah. Horace Grant definitely did not like being singled out as the, the source for the Jordan Rules book. Sure, I don't blame him. If, if particularly if it wasn't true, uh, I can get where he would be upset about it. Uh, to me, you know, that was in the early '90s, and Horace Grant wasn't around for the other stuff at the end. And you know, the, I think the whole thing was a misnomer. The Last Dance, uh, it, the Last Dance spanned twenty years practically. That was a long dance. <laughs> Yeah, but it was the end. It was end. It was the end for the Troika. It really comes down to uh, Jordan and Pippen and Phil. And as Phil said during that last season, there's a famous quote from him. At some point, we're all going to become footnotes. Jordan, that's what's going to. That's who's going to be remembered. MJ. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess uh, the, the, those are certainly subplots because Jordan is the main event. Also today, we've been talking about uh, college football and the vote that's coming up later today, transferring. Our players going to be allowed to transfer without sitting out a year? And how will that change college sports if it passes? And we can, uh, we can speculate about that, but it sounds like it's uh, an unresolvable thing and we're not going to know because it sounds like it's not going to pass. At least, at least not now. Uh, maybe it'll be... They'll kick the can down the road a little bit and readdress it at some point. Yeah, I think at some point it will become uh, some type of situation where those things will happen 
to one degree or another because I think we're in for massive changes in college athletics. We're headed that way in terms of giving them money, and once that happens, all sorts of stuff will go. And so the regulations that we have now, it'll be like uh, you know the telephone companies with the deregulation to the point of virtually non-existent. I don't know when that'll be, but that'll be over time, I think, for sure. It does seem like that's how it's headed. A telephone company, that's a good example. Have to use to look at the map and find out how much it was going to cost to call somewhere, and there'd be a map in the phone book. My gosh, I hadn't even thought about that stuff in forever. Yeah. Now you just pick up your cell and you dial it, and you don't even think about it. No. Also today we have talked about uh, the Arizona Diamondback center field, Starling Marte. This is a really sad story, PK. This kind of maybe other people are following and knew about it, but it, it just seemed like it kind of came out of the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah, his wife. Uh, I, he, he's thirty-one, I think. So I assume his wife is in the same age bracket, but dies of a heart attack as she was awaiting surgery, and he posts it, and he played for the Pirates, and this would have been his first year in Arizona. But yeah, what a what a terrible situation. She had a broken ankle. She was awaiting surgery for the broken ankle and passed away of a heart attack. I can't relate to that whatsoever. Texas Rangers would prefer to stay home in their new ballpark instead of returning to Arizona whenever it's time for them to get back to training. They've not worked out at their new stadium yet. I think I get this for a lot of teams, PK, that, you know, the club may not want the travel and the expense of putting all the players up, essentially, at spring training on the road and that. And the players may want to be closer to home, so I get that. You brought up the point of, well, do you want to play spring training games? And I assume the answer for that, the clubs, is either find a nearby team if that's possible or talking about carrying rosters that have 40, 50 players on them, not necessarily the 40-man rosters. They might want to be careful about who they bring up and give service time to because they want to worry about you know eligibility for arbitration and for agent and all that. But essentially carrying like a triple-A team and having real depth. So if there are injuries, if you need pitching help, you got you got people who are up and, and ready to go. So it may come down to inter-squad games. Well, we haven't heard anything about uh, minor league season being played, so I don't know what's going to happen there. And we haven't heard nothing, as I just said. So they're going to need more guys, which to me, that's why you need the spring training sites because the spring training sites are built to accommodate far more many players than and add than the roster of 25 you know having been to many of those spring training sites on the backfields too for uh competition for the younger kids you know they all got those uh probably got at least one deal where you have the four diamonds and the backstops are all like in a circle mm-hmm. and they might even have two of those particular complexes particularly on a site the sites now in arizona anyway house two teams so you're going to have at least eight practice fields in addition to the stadium. So my thought is that they're probably going to have to, if they want to have some games or get as much work in as possible, remove themselves for a little bit. But, see, I think that the players have been, to a good degree, working out anyway. I don't think they've just been sitting around. I think they've been doing stuff to get themselves ready to go. So it shouldn't be that long. I think the bigger issue for baseball is can they come together on this financial situation? Tom Glavin came out, and he was a big player rep during the strike, and he's a Hall of Fame pitcher, obviously, with Atlanta. And he said that even if the players are 100% right, if there's no games played this season... They're going to get blamed. It's going to come off (laughs) as a bad look. It's going to be, well, the Matt 
uh, not Matt Snell, what's his name? Uh, Snell kid uh, from uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay. Bay. Yeah, Blake, I think his first name is. Is that, uh, hey, uh, I'm not going to pay, I'm not going to play for that amount of money. Are you kidding me? And that's just a bad look when people are, I, I've, we've all had it in our families, as I said. My sister told me yesterday that my niece, who's uh, early 40s, has got fired yesterday. And she got a six-month severance package, uh, not six months, six weeks, and can empl- uh, uh, collect unemployment for six weeks. And then after that, she's back out on the market, and she's a working stiff like me. And so, yeah, you got six weeks, but, you know, that's just bad news. And these guys, well, I'm not going to pay play for that. Are you kidding me? But if you give me my full salary, I'll pay a play, I mean. So it's just a bad look, and that's baseball. Uh, you know, they risk losing more people as they did back in that time. And was it 93, 94, 95, uh, around that time, whenever it was. So I think that's the, going to be the big issue, not where they get to practice. If I was playing today, I wouldn't say, hell no, I'm not playing. But, of course, I'd have a concern that once you step out that door and you go back into the world, there's a chance you're bringing something home to your family. It's 100% fair for players, coaches, and everybody to be concerned about that. Glavin also added, I probably miss NHL playoffs more than baseball, at least this time of year. It's part of the routine. It's nice to do what you do all day, eat dinner, and sit down and watch some kind of game. Not having games to watch has been hard, but you know, we'll get through it. Oh, we'll get through that. Yeah, he's a Northeast guy, so he has the hockey background, where obviously it's a stronger sport up there as opposed to the Southwest or other parts of the country. But yeah, I understand that. And, but they got to be careful, man. you got, you got to play the public perception look. And if you are perceived to be money hungry and screw y'all, where's my money? It's just going to come off looking bad. That's some of what we've been talking about today for the golfers. uh, And I don't have any idea how this came up. But for the golfers, we're trying to get to the bottom of... uh, Nice shot, Alice. Nice putt, Alice. And we have... Where did that come from? How did that start? Well, I have a thing that was sent to me by my friend Giles. He says a guy named Mr. Alice, A-L-L-I-S, yep. missed a three-foot putt in the 63 Ryder Cup. Someone in the crowd yelled, nice putt, Alice, because that's how you pronounced his last name, L-L-I-S. And then it became as mistaken for the first name, because Alice obviously is the first name of a female, or in the case of a rock star, a male. Obviously, he changed his name. I think his first name is Vincent. Uh, but uh, So that became where it started. And then it became the nice putt, Alice. So it goes back to the 1963 Ryder Cup. I suppose, yeah, that's apparently where it uh, where it started. I mean, at the time, it was gut-wrenching pain. But, you know, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And, you know, what goes around comes around. You see what I'm saying? All these things can happen that way. And, you know. Haste makes waste, you know. And for Phil, well, you know, he was going to be the coach of Minnesota. Well, that didn't turn out so well. I mean, he was probably was a blow. But as you know, Dave, every silver lining has its cloud. Of course, it's the other way around. Every cloud has a silver lining. Don't don't let it it flow. Just just (laughs) let it flow. Don't don't get hung up in details about the silver lining. I want to see if you were paying attention or just reading the Internet. I was doing both. Yeah, you, you're something with that internet. All right, anything else we hit today that you would like to cover and bring people up to speed? 
No, I think all's well that ends well. <laughs> uh, we did talk a little football earlier. You had fun with J.C. Treader's name. <laughs> I never heard of J.C. Treader. He's a Cleveland Brown center. Why would you know him? Now, what was he saying? What, He's the new the, president of the NFL Players Association. What was his point that he was making? Oh, he was talking about the health and safety of the players are going to be really important as the NFL prepares for the upcoming season. Well, yeah. I mean, as a, as a spokesman, he's a treader setter. See, there it is. There it is. Keep him coming. <laughs> Keep him coming. Oh, come on. You guys are headed over heels with my stuff. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good And if you're not, if you feel pain, don't worry cuz time heals all wounds. <laughs> all right, DJ and PK, it's 975-1280 the zone. We are brought to you in part by Larry H Miller Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. Your feedback is coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. TV wants yeah. live sports. They are desperate for live sports. Yeah. We're watching the KBO for crying out loud. It's still on ESPN. You can catch the KBO twice a day. I tried. I couldn't do it. I could do it for the first couple of days, but there's just nothing to really... It's like when you really try to do a crash diet and you're looking at that plate of kale and you're like, I'm not quite hungry enough for that yet. But if I put ranch and bacon on it... Then we got a chance. And put it on a burger. Yeah. And then <laughs> remove the kale as you ate the burger. <laughs> then we got something. How did you sneak on there? Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Your feedback brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. NCAA voting today whether they give players a one-time transfer rule without sitting out. What should the vote be? And Riley Jensen, our college football insider, tweets at us, Rip the Band-Aid off. Vote yes. It's going to happen anyway. Uh, I think in time, as we're just saying, that it will happen. I don't know if it's going to happen today. It seems like you cannot bombard people with a bunch of stuff all at once. You have to ease into things. And with this idea of them making money off of their imaging and whatnot, that seems like to be the big issue, bigger than this particular issue right now. Because in a lot of cases, kids will transfer, or not even just transfer, but they want to redshirt. They may have an injury, or they may need to get bigger and stronger, those types of things. So it's not that massive a blow it's just a could you maybe allow it if you maybe have some modification if you've already redshirted how about you get a one-time transfer rule so if you haven't redshirted well then you use your red shirt you see what i'm saying yes and they may end up doing something like that i just think when we get 10 years down the road it's just going to be a free-for-all right but I'm talking about we're not going to just do it right now because nope. we're hung up with all this legislation possibly of giving them money. So that's the bigger issue. So you can't have a bunch of issues and make a bunch of rule changes all at once. And maybe that's something that they can do. I agree with you that 10 year down the road, but maybe in the interim to allow someone, uh, male or female, if they've already redshirted, particularly if they've redshirted for an injury that then they could have a one-time transfer rule 
so they don't burn a year of eligibility. Because that's, I think, that, that's the key, is not having them, you know, you're given four, five years to play four. Well, you don't want to waste that if you redshirted and then you find you to whatever the situation is, you need to leave, you want to leave. Well, then you don't have to waste a year, particularly if you're a junior and you can't go to a junior college because that time has yeah. already passed. Terry Harper, first down guy, tweets at us, if it is a yes, they need to give schools the initials back. Recruiting shouldn't suffer for this. I think that is one of the fallout. You know, we always talk unintended consequences. If a school had, uh, you know, let's say a coach takes off, right? And so then the players are like, no, I'm not playing for a third coach. Colorado's a good example, right? They had a guy who was there for a while. He had a run, didn't work out, so they let him go. They bring in a new guy. He bolts immediately after one year. So the players' third year, if a bunch of them take off, they could get caught way short on scholarships. So maybe need to figure out some way to handle that uh, 25 scholarships in a year, 85 total deal. Okay, but 85 total, and the pros have a roster of 53, and they play more games. So do we really need 85 scholarships? I mean, they literally recruit guys with the intent of being nothing but a special teams player. They do. And they're also, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a numbers game, throw stuff up against the wall here and see, you know, who can develop. And if uh, Team A loses a bunch of players – well, who's to say a school from Team B wouldn't then get uh, lose players that would go to Team A because you have opportunities to play. And every kid, man, woman, child, wants to play. <laughs> Nobody wants to sit on the bench, yeah. as they say. So if you can be over here and you got a chance to play. So if Colorado got decimated with a bunch of guys leaving, who's to say kids wouldn't transfer to Colorado because they just got decimated, so I got a chance to play. Playing time. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's important. Right, but you just can't limit them to to 25 scholarships. That's the thing. I think your point is true. I think there would be some of that. You know, a quarterback transfers, another quarterback may see an opportunity. Hey, there's not a lot of depth there. I got a chance to get in there. If I can't win the starting jobs, I can win the backup job, and a lot of guys get injured, so I'm going to have a chance to play. We're talking about the youths this year and which guy's going to start, and of course we're going to do that, and we all care who's going to take the the first snap and the first game. But you need that second quarterback. And if you're that second quarterback, you got to know the odds are, what, 60%, 70%, something like that, that you're going to end up playing. So be ready because you don't know what play that's coming. I think the big thing is the sentiment, if coaches can leave almost at will, and in many cases at will, then why can't the players? I think that's the essence of it. I think you're right. I think that is the essence. Uh, Steven tweets at us on the debate about the greatest. Michael only dominated for six years. He lost plenty of playoff series. Going to the finals nine times is incredible. Going to the finals nine times is incredible, and I do think it matters, but it doesn't trump six titles. No, and only dominated for six times. The reality is only, right? <laughs> no matter who you are, you've had more fails than wins. That's just the way, and Sam Smith said that. Of course, Jordan missed plenty of shots. It, it, that's just the essence of everyone. They all miss more than they make. You know, in, in any sport, uh, you're probably going to have more fails than you have successes, right? That the way it is. But six is phenomenal. And also, too, I think you have to factor in uh, Jordan having to beat multiple teams that won multiple titles along the way. LeBron having to beat no one along the way. I'm talking about getting to the final. Right, because the West was so much better than the East. 
Yes, and in the East, in Jordan's day, you had multiple winners, and that's the Pistons and the Celtics. Those teams won multiple titles, and he had to get over them. Who did jo- Who did uh, LeBron have to get over? What was his st- of all those finals? What was his stiffest challenge? No, no, no. I'm talking about in the oh, East, in the East to get getting that. to the finals. Getting to the finals, the toughest challenge. Uh, did he beat the Celtics? I know he I lost want to, say to them. That, yeah, I want to say that there was uh, a time in there that he did. I'd have to double-check that. But the point is, he had a much easier path, and it was yes. circumstantial. Too. I mean, I'm not blaming the guy. It's not his fault that the other teams in the conference weren't as good as you had the Pistons and the Celtics when Jordan was climbing the ladder. He had nothing to do with that, so it's no knock on him. So he beat the Celtics. <clears throat> he only lost to the Celtics, it looks like. He lost the Celtics twice in Cleveland the first time. He didn't beat the, uh, that Ray Allen group with uh, right. Garnett and Pierce. Garnett and Pierce. He, it looks like he lost to them in six and in seven. Um, the year, you know, they beat the Pistons in the East. Now, the Pistons were at the end of the run, but you they know, did. the Pistons had that run. Where with Chauncey Billups and that group, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals five, six, seven years in a row, whatever it was, is a long run. Uh, and then he did beat them in six in 2007. So that's, that's probably nice. the best win early. No, nothing wrong with that. It's funny, Sam Smith saying Dallas was the worst champion. Well, did the Pistons, did they even have a Hall of Famer on that team? Am I missing somebody? Has Chauncey gotten in? I don't think so. I don't think he has. He's not in right now. I know that. Okay, well. And obviously Nowitzki's going to waltz in. Right. And I don't think Ben Wallace is going to get in there. Or Rasheed Wallace. Neither Rasheed, of the Wallace brothers. Yeah. And they're not even brothers. Well, they're brothers in a sense, depending on how you define brothers. You know what I mean, brothers? Good point. The second go-round with the, in Cleveland, uh, LeBron knocked off the Celtics twice in the Conference Finals. He beat the Raptors three years in a row, twice in the second round, once in the Finals. Yeah, but Kawhi Leonard wasn't walking through that door. And That's true. And that Hawks team that won 60 games, that was a brief peak for Atlanta in 2015 to beat them in the Eastern Finals. Well, that's, a, that's like the uh, title of my autobiography, A Brief Peak. DJ and PK, we are out of time on that note. And Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll talk to you.